but just start with empathy and understanding because really it's about listening actively and then move into simplifying and clarifying concepts. Just avoid, I know we like to use acronyms. That's why in the very beginning, I you know made sure to say diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, because now if you're someone that's not in the space, you now just learned what DEI stands for. So just avoid jargon and make sure that you are simplifying and clarifying your concepts. Also, folks want to know what is the benefit. So highlighting that, focusing on shared values and impact is the key. I would say when you're dealing with someone that may not be as versed, because the minute you highlight something that's tangible, I think most people can align with that and it can really help to frame just a more inclusive and harmonious conversation and can even challenge you to look at a different perspective, which is also a key element that we need in today's society. Hello, everyone. This is Jolene May, your host for the Diversity Podcast, where we talk with real people doing real work in the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging space. If you want to explore what people are doing right, what positive impacts are happening, or even how positive changes can be done, you're in the right place. We welcome you to join us. Today, we have Turquoise Piert with us. Turquoise is a motivational speaker who highlights the collective human experience through the power of voice. She is passionate about connecting with humanity and uses her words to heal, inspire, transform, unite, and impact communities and people. Turquoise has been featured in USA Today's 2021 Race in America Special Edition and was recently appointed to the Community Relations Commission of Oak Park, a suburb right outside of Chicago, where she will work under a chair and chief diversity officer to help cultivate a more diverse, inclusive, and equitable local community through its initiatives. Turquoise has held many different leadership positions in the DEI space, and she brings her bold and innovative ideas in driving strategic change in the work that she does. She has been commended for her emotional intelligence, ability to bring an equity focus to foster a culture of reputable professionalism, compassion, and innovation. And also, Turquoise is bilingual, And she graduated with her MBA at the age of 19. So with that, welcome, Turquoise. Thanks for having me, Jolene. Great intro. Thank you. I mean, that was also all of the things that you've done. So you kind of made it a little bit easier for me. But thank you so much for being here. I actually wanted to pass the mic to you and let you talk about yourself and share with us about your background, too. Perfect. Well, just to kind of create that human element, I'm Caribbean American and I am a second generation or first generation rather, and grew up in South Florida. So originally from Fort Lauderdale, born and raised, and then moved to Chicago in 2019, just in time for COVID. I actually got started in human resources. And so that's kind of the pathway that I always saw for myself. I love people, but I would say five years ago, I moved to Chicago with the intention to be more diversity focused. So that's where my career took a turn. And I started to do more DEI-related diversity, equity, and inclusion-focused work. And, you know, naturally being in Chicago, it really opened up so many doors, such as the commission like you talked about. I also served on the Illinois Diversity Council here and then Chicago SHRM. So my background is pretty diverse. And last but not least, I've touched several different industries over the years as well. And so my goal now, I think, is to really begin to just use my voice to impact generations through speaking. So thank you for having me. I love that. Impact generations through speaking. I love that. Something that I appreciate about just talking to you is, I know you also mentioned, you know, opening doors. I feel like you have a very forward thinking perspective. So I'm, I'm happy and glad to give platform to that as we talk through today's topic, which is mindful communication. And I think what I really valued when I spoke about this with you was how you've taken that to your journey and what you do. So before we dive into the tiny little nitty gritties here, let's go ahead and define it. I would like to see how you would define what mindful communication is. Yeah, that's a great approach. Honestly, it's just being able to really emphasize the present moment awareness and then combine that with active listening and genuine empathy. And it really just involves being fully present in the conversation. That's something that I think as a society, we don't do enough of. We listen to respond instead of listening to understand. And that's really all 
mindful communication is, listening to understand. Yeah, I remember seeing a quote somewhere that said like, listen to understand, not reply. And so that's what is bringing it to my attention. And I think I'm taking this conversation as a grateful reminder for me because as someone who like, I feel like I'm naturally empathetic, but I would also say that that's like a privilege as well. Like, I don't think emotional intelligence comes naturally for some, which is fine. You know, like some people make decisions more based on logic and there's a place for everyone with that. I just wanted to take this as if you, if a listener, if you see yourself as being very empathetic, I hope that this conversation is a good reminder for you too, because I I think I even caught myself the other day, like, oh, am I not listening to understand right now? Which I wasn't, I was, I was listening to reply. So yeah, just, you know, I'm also bringing that human element there is that like, I'm not perfect. I'm a human. Yeah. That's just my two cents to your response there. And I'm going to now shift it because you said something to me in the context of like the workplace and communications there that I wanted to now bring in this conversation, which is like when we were brainstorming, you asked this great question, how are we mindfully communicating and how is that message being received? So like with that, like what spaces do you think are affected by maybe poor communication and how do you think mindful communication can provide growth in those areas? Right. I mean, there's so, that's a good question. There's so many different areas. I mean, if we were to look at just our personal relationships, the workplace, different educational settings, and then the various communities that we're in, I think these are naturally key areas and spaces that are affected by poor communication. So if we start with personal relationships, the impact there is that without the right communication skill set that can definitely lead to misunderstandings, conflicts, and emotional distance. So thus the reason why we're seeing more opportunities for therapy, mental health conversations and dialogue, because we just don't do personal relationships well. So the way that we can grow mindfully in that space is just look to enhance trust, intimacy, and mutual understanding. And that way you have more of a respectful expression of feelings and needs, and that's going to lead to more of a stronger, fulfilling relationship. So that's just one area, the personal relationships. And then if I shift over to workplace, I mean, in the workplace, it's so different now, but I mean, poor communication definitely results in decreased productivity, low morale and conflict uh, amongst team members, and then lack of clarity in roles and expectations, people not feeling confident enough to perform right. And if we're mindful, if we just shift that, then we can start to see more improved teamwork, better problem solving, increased job satisfaction, and more clear and effective communication channels. And overall, a naturally positive work culture. And the byproduct of that would be a more supportive, constructive, workplace where you get the feedback that you need and it's two-way. And then if we look at the educational area, you know, in educational settings, if there are poor communication channels between teachers, students, parents, that again, is that, you know, misunderstanding, high disengagement. But once we shift that over, we can definitely start to see that there's a better understanding of learning styles. And I think that's so important because as we came out of COVID, we saw a lot of that where, you know, kids started to realize and even parents, there were a lot of diagnoses for people that were, you know, dealing with certain neurotypical issues, you know, whether that's being on the spectrum, dealing with certain learning styles. And so now once that was revealed, you have a more supported base, you have students that feel heard and then A byproduct of that is that their academic performance increased. And so they have a more positive educational experience. So that was huge, especially us coming out of COVID and looking at the future of work. And then the final area that I'll touch on is communities. I mean, if we don't have communities that are strong, that's definitely, and we see this, I think, just from our legislature, our federal government on down, that's division, mistrust lack of collaboration. And if we shift that, we can see instead more fostering of unity, cooperation, shared purpose, and then that will promote more of an open dialogue and understanding of diverse perspectives. So, I mean, I hope that was helpful, but did you see how just communication makes all the difference there? Okay, first off. Hello, listeners. 
Time for a quick break to give your brain a quick rest. If you have not done so already and would like to support our mission, please follow our podcast, leave a review, or share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening in, and let's get back to the conversation. Thank you for ending that response with a question. I totally saw. I really appreciated how you broke it down. And I think that for me, it just made me, it made it easier for me to um, intake what you were saying. Cause I feel like that answer could have been, obviously it could have been answered in many different ways, but I felt like you chose to answer abstractly, but you organized it and also in a way that I could easily understand it. So I appreciate that. And breaking it down to personal workplace and community. And then also like what I personally appreciated was when you started talking about the impact on productivity, a lack of clarity. You know, I think that for me, I forget that. I forget that poor communication can cause a lack of clarity and that can subsequently affect so many other areas. And then therefore, that's going to impact teamwork and job satisfaction. And then that broke down to the bigger picture of culture. And I think that's a great way to compartmentalize those concepts in this specific situation. Obviously, there's a lot more concepts that come to mind for culture, but I think those are good starting points, you know? So just wanted to validate that, you know? With that, I actually wanted to ask if you had an example. I'm pretty sure you might, but if you have an example of a time that you received both poor and also great, like mindful communication, how did that affect you? Like whether that's like through your productivity, your perspective and so forth based on the things you've mentioned. Right. Definitely the workplace can be highlighted more so, I think, of all the different spheres that we looked at just now. But an example of poor communication definitely had to do with returning to work. I think once we had exited that COVID era and teams were, you know, going back to work, you know, we started to see a lot more confusion around who comes back, which teams, which days do we set aside a policy? Do we not? For those that don't want to come back, what does that mean? Do they lose their job? So there was just so much happening. And the impact of that was we saw that people started to, you know, exit the workforce, right? They felt like, well, you know what, if they're changing my job, if they're going to alter the way that I do work and the job that they hired me for is changing, and clearly nobody told me, then I'm just going to leave. And that's why you saw the great migration. So that's an example of poor communication. Mindful communication, I think, is what's happening now where companies are realizing that if you don't stipulate and you're not setting actual boundaries uh, of what your expectations are, then it's really not mindful. And instead, you're really damaging you're you're operating under damage control at this point. So mindful communication would be uh, job descriptions and job postings now that clearly allocate and say this is a hybrid work setting. You are expected to be on site these days. Now people cannot argue or say that they did not know that. And so that's that's really I think a, a really good example. And that actually did happen to me where in my most recent role. There was a lot of that, you know, poor communication, I think, with the role dynamic, but then also this shift to to make it a bit more mindful and integrate it into other areas of the business, which they were successfully able to do. But it did take a lot of course corrective work just because of the missteps post-COVID. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, what's interesting from that is like, which brings me to the next thing, which is finding your voice. And this is something that I grabbed from you. So I didn't coin this. I'm just saying that. But I feel like in that aspect, I could see organizations and companies going through that process of like, what's our voice now, right? Like, what are we communicating? How are we communicating to people who want to work here or people who do work here? So that's where my brain went to. And I wanted to, again, bring this into the conversation because hearing about your journey when we first started talking about this topic, you were saying how, you know, through that mindful communication, it was part of the process of you finding your voice. So let's bring you into the conversation and tell us more about that and how you've come across finding your voice through that communication piece in your journey and your work. Right. Well, we all know that lack of clarity, you know, like we talked about earlier, leads to confusion, right? So the minute you shine a light in a space, let's picture a dark tunnel. Let's say we are underground. We are in a mining environment. It's very dark. You can't see anything. The minute that 
the miner turns on that flashlight, everything is illuminated. It's so very clear. And I feel like that for me is what mindful communication was in that example, where once I started to see the clarity in terms of what corporations were looking for, it was so easy for me to begin to find my voice. So if we go back to the company that I recently referenced that did that shift, because the communication became more mindful, I then realized, I don't know that diversity is my focus. I wonder if maybe I would be more impactful in starting my own business, which I started to do and which I began to do. And I started to move in a direction that was a bit more entrepreneurial without letting go of the things I learned in the various spaces over the years, right? Like I think you can still carry those things with you, but evolve as a person. And so now my voice, it's its confident. It's understanding that is what you're doing impacting? Is it, do you have capacity, right? Because in the previous space, the capacity was limited because I was just assigned to that nine to six or even after hours just because of the intensity of the work. Now moving outside of that and being a little more client-based and being able to navigate and pick and choose my own clients, my voice feels strong and confident because I'm now seeing the importance of finding clarity in what you're doing in general. It versus just, you know, going to a job every single day. And unfortunately, because of COVID, a lot of us were in that cycle. And I, I think, Jolene, we can even break this down into our personal lives too. There were lots of divorces, lots of people that reassessed a lot of things. And it was because of what we're talking about now, where you literally have to ask yourself, what is the why behind this? Why am I doing this? Am I impacting? Am I growing? And that was the clarity moment for me. Yeah, that's a great response there. Thanks for sharing your story. I think to you touched on it, but I was kind of curious about when you're talking about, you know, when there's a lack of clarity and how that leads you to finding your own clarity, you know? So like, have you experienced like a situation that you'd like to share where like you felt your boundaries or ethics were challenged? And like, how did you handle that? And how did you feel like that instance attributed to your journey of finding your voice and that communication and you're talking about courage? Yeah, I think in the DEI space in general, and this was just a compilation of different jobs over the last few years once I moved to Chicago. So it's not one specific example that I can use here, but I would say it's kind of a collective where I realized that the DEI space is very complicated in that it's kind of dependent upon what's happening in the world and it's pretty situational. And so once like George Floyd, that was no longer at the forefront and other topics began to surface, I realized that my ethics were challenged because, you know, as a woman being Caribbean American, being black, I could relate to that. I mean, obviously none of us are George Floyd and we would never really know what he faced that day. But I think that, you know, that was a, a moment, like a pivotal moment in our society when we could all come together. Once the shift diverted away from that and it started to become more broad, like it started to press into my ethical leanings because I realized this is no longer feeling like we're helping all. It's feeling like it's segmented depending on what's happening and who's in control and which corporation. And sadly, that does not mesh with me. I am all about humanity. I'm about all people, really. I mean by that is really starting to push the collective narrative. That's so important to me that no one gets left behind. In order to do that, it's going to take like mindful communication. So that's an example where it started to get messy. And I think if we look at the numbers, we can see the amount of people that are leaving DEI due to burnout, due to confusion, due to lack of clarity due to even imposter syndrome, where now because of that lack of clarity, we had to take on, you know, I would say stances that weren't even ours, like just to save face. So now I'm going to make you the face of X community and you have no idea how to do that, but it's because that's what the organization wants. And now you become that, which ethically, if let's say you are a deep evangelical or Christian like myself, that might rock the boat a bit for you personally. And so it was becoming, I think it was starting to cross over into your personal values. 
versus professional where you weren't seeing that line anymore. And for me, once it crossed over and I had to become the face of different communities that ethically did not mesh with my personal uh, values, that that was an example of when I realized I need to elevate my voice or find a way to to find it because I'm I'm losing my way here, you know? Wow. I want to say that I see it a strength that you're like sharing to this level of vulnerability. So I just wanted to validate you for that and acknowledge that because like that's not easy. And I'm curious, I'm pretty sure I wonder if any listeners relate to what you're saying in in being put in positions in DI or even not DI, like leadership positions too, you know? And also, I wonder if there's other, you know, leaders in the DI space that are like, yeah, I get what you're saying, you know, and I appreciate you taking this time to talk about the obstacles because, you know, it's true. I think what you said earlier with with it, which is um, like the lack of clarity, shining the light and then you finding where the clarity is. Right. So for those, I want to take it a step back to those who, you know, maybe they aren't the leaders, but they're the ones in the back and they want to grow. Something you said to me, I'm like, man, that was deep. You said that there were times that you hoped your silence would get you there faster. I personally resonated with that. And I'm like, yeah, I've totally been there, right? And um, you're talking about imposter syndrome too. So like, I want to bring that into the conversation. I, I think I felt that so much more when I was at like the beginning stages of finding my own voice and I'm still finding my own voice. But I want to just make sure that we're opening the conversation to people who feel that too is like, how about you, you know, feel free to walk us through that process where, you know, you went, through that thought and you overcame the thought of like, oh, I hope, you know, I hope my silence will get me there faster. So how did you move through it towards finding your voice and that mindful communication piece? Wow. That is definitely takes me back. I love this question because it really speaks to more than just mindful communication. It's all about your morals, your values, what you stand for. And I think that is what separates people that can lead from those that may just choose to to follow. And there's nothing wrong with following, but I do believe that there innately is leadership in all of us to lead and to say, this just does not rub me the right way. And and I'm going to stick to what I'm feeling led to do and do it in a way that I think feels impactful beyond my current self. It's looking at your future self and then working backwards, if that makes sense. Okay, so let me take you back to the the example and that will help. So the idea is that if, if we even look back at the Me Too movement, for example, you know, I bring that in because that's so critical. You know, these are people, these are women that more than likely wanted to get started some way, somehow, and maybe they noticed something. They noticed something was off in an interaction and they did not necessarily speak up right away. They noticed it. They hoped that maybe it would change. And I bring that up because then it snowballed to this movement, this Me Too movement, where women are now speaking up about the things that they experienced. And if we correlate that to our personal lives, it's it's very similar. It's that passive aggressive mentality of I'm not going to say anything because, you know, I don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to rock the boat. I'm just you know, maybe by not saying anything, it'll move me along and others will notice. And for me, I think the steps to really beginning to find your voice, even through that, is recognizing that, no, that is not okay. If something does not ethically align to you, that's the first thing. It just doesn't align. And then you then have to break that apart and then say, okay, if it doesn't align, how do I get to where I am going in a way that feels good to me and feels authentic? And that's really all I did. I have an example of there was um, someone that I met and it was during my unemployment journey. I'm still, I'm at the tail end of it now, but this was when I first became unemployed and I've always loved motivational speaking. I began speaking when I was three. So it's been three decades of you know speaking and this person actually is doing what I'm aspiring to do, you know, and they're in that space and they're commanding a room and they're able to command even thousands of dollars, you know, in just one interaction even. And so I began to really take a liking and swap notes with this person. But then I, somewhere down the line, I started to notice things and I was silent about it because in my mind, I was just thinking about the end goal, which is to become this motivational speaker like this this person. 
And I noticed, don't feel good about that. And it was little by little, like little things that would happen. And it wasn't overt, but it was, it was very subtle. If you were paying attention to it, that's that mindful piece, then it would strike you. And so I started to notice that long story short, I just, at one point, I just started to look at that. I took a moment, took a step back and I said, this is not my story. I'm not desperate to get where I'm going. Timing is everything. So I think just unpacking, like for the person that's listening, that's a DEI person or someone that's a leader, what is your end goal? Write that out. Once you discover what that is, write the steps that you personally feel comfortable taking to get there. Because what happens if is if we just continue to think about the end goal, the end goal, the end goal, we'll just take anything that comes along the way. We'll just, you know, take a little bit of this and take a little bit of that because it feels good. It seems right. Maybe. No, like you have to really work backwards and strategize and say, what is it that I'm comfortable doing to get to where I am going? And not every door is your door. Knowing and being able to decipher this does not feel like the right door for me. I am going to wait. And trust me, it is so worth it because when you walk through the right door, it's almost like when you're driving and you get one green light and then you get like five green lights and you're like, whoa, I'm sailing at this point. So that I think would be my tip there. It's, you know, I love how, you know, you asked this question, being silent will not get you there faster. Instead, it will provide you with lack of clarity. You may get there. And you may be there in one piece, but now your mental state is disrupted because you've interacted with things and entities along the way that may confuse you, that may resurface because you compromised who you really were to get there. I love that. You know, what I really appreciated about what you shared is I got this, you know, from just listening from your journey, I could see how you tried, you tried different things, you know, and then you pivoted and you weren't afraid to pivot. And I think And bringing the other part of the conversation you brought in, which is like thinking about the end goal and almost like hyper-focusing on it, you know, and I I wonder how much that has like encouraged people to forget about the value in the process or feel that that they just need to be silent because they're just focusing on the end goal, you know, but through that, like you're still going through those stoplights, like you said, right? But like what's happening to you while you're going, you know? Exactly. And you know, you get where you're going, but now there are some some scars there that could have been alleviated. And so now there can even be trauma. There can be triggering moments now that were not even meant to be there because there was a lack of clarity in, in what exactly you were trying to achieve. So even just writing out, you know, there's a phrase that says, you know, write the vision and make it plain, write things out things that you want to see happen, just write it out because you'll even catch it too. Like when it's written, it almost create it illuminates and it creates an awareness that is very mindful. Completely. And I know we're talking very like metaphorically too and big, broad, but like just to bring it to like the DEI process here, I think this is a good point for us to review. Like what did we do in the past and what did we not do? Like were there times that we chose to be silent because we wanted to move there faster because what pressures were going on for you, you know, like what was weighing on you. And I know we're going to get, actually, we're going to get into that next. So let's go ahead and go there, which is like, first off, thank you for reflecting with me and thank you for sharing your journey and your thought process because I benefit from listening to that as well. From what I hear, I think that there's at least like this two-part, right, to the concept of mindful communication and one being reflecting or thinking before communicating. So what areas would you point our listeners to in the reflection piece here, considering what we've talked about? Yeah. So I think that's a good one. So there's a couple things. You want to first start with empathy and understanding. So really know what's your perspective without judgment? You know, what is it that you understand that scenario or situation to be? And understand the influence behind that. You can even look at your own experiences to help guide you there. But I think just starting with empathy and understanding and even asking yourself open-ended questions. So almost being like your own therapist, because when we go to therapy, they don't solve the problem for us. They almost ask the question back to you for you to then 
figure it out. So I think if we use that same strategy, that can really encourage you to get comfortable sharing your thoughts and your feelings in a more open and honest exchange. And then the next step I would say is then simplify it. So take the first bullet point, which was just asking those questions that are very open-ended and then begin to simplify and clarify, break it down, address any negative assumptions that may come with it. I think earlier in the conversation, we did talk about that where I think you'd said like, not every time when you communicate, do you get it right? And I think that's one of the assumptions of mindful communication that if you are communicating mindfully, you're hitting all the different areas and the qualities, which include active listening, which include empathy, which include, you know, listening without judgment, being non-judgmental. There will be moments where you may not hit it every single time and that's okay. It's a journey, like you said. So I just wanted to bring that in there. So simplify and clarify and then highlight the benefits. So focus on what are some shared values that you are noticing and then what is the impact of those values? So make sure that you highlight those values and equate them to being something that's tangible because that's the only way that you're going to really see the impact on whether it's your decision-making, how you tackle that scenario, and you'll become more solution-focused. There's a couple more, I'd say, and that is sharing your personal story and experience. So just make it relatable, right? Like that's what people really care about. They want to be able to relate to what you've gone through. And I think that can be highlighted by acknowledging your challenges. Like like I did earlier. I mean, that took so much for me to do because it required me losing that job to then realize that was a challenge that allowed me to find my voice, right? And so once you acknowledge something, then you can move forward. Be patient and avoid confrontation. So, you know, allow that time for reflection, right? So that could just be your quiet time to start your day. I believe in starting your day in some sort of practice or guided meditation, whether it's just silence in the morning and then silence at night. Sometimes even if you, you know, like when you shower and you just get that alone time, that can be very mindful because it can open up the way for you to reflect on your day, pivot as needed, and it gives you space to really process information and evaluate different viewpoints. And then last but not least, I would just say be open to resources and continuing to learn. There's always something you can learn, read, podcasts, articles. I mean, there's just so many different ways to continue on this trajectory. And I think if you do these things, then it really will allow you to be in that realm that you're describing, Julie. Appreciate it, that we're describing. Before I moved on to the next question, I wanted to go back to something you said, which is sharing your story, because I didn't realize until now, I was like, oh, wait, actually, there's two great things that we can do with this. because. Like personally that now, like this is again, something that I try to just do is just, it just comes natural to me. And I think when I relate to others by sharing my story, it's like two parts. One is I try my best to avoid speaking for others. And I put this in the context of my personal relationships, but I can see how beneficial that would be to a professional relationship with perhaps like a direct report or a colleague that you're trying to discuss something with, right? Where you're not super close to this person. So you do have to try to be mindful of not speaking for them because that can cause some conflict, right? And then at the same time, sharing your story is, it could be also used to for you to further find your own voice, right? And I feel like you're doing that here today where I feel like for me it being the person receiving it, I'm relating to it, you know? And I'm saying like, oh, this is interesting. Like this is the journey that you have. And I'm like, hmm, what what do I want to take that I want to relate to? And what do I don't relate to? And what do I learn from that? So yeah, I just wanted to take a few moments to acknowledge that piece because I think that's just kind of what I took away from what you shared there and how I'm reflecting in my mindful communication. That's good. And that's actually mindful communication at work because it's not just processing information afterwards, but it's being actively engaged. And I think we're doing that here today, which is powerful. It it is, it is a little bit of a muscle, right? Like when you first start to do it, it requires a bit more, you know, being present just naturally in the world we live in, it's harder just because of all the different distractions. So this is one, but I appreciate the setup of this conversation because we are mindfully communicating 
And I love how you're processing and we're processing as we go. Thank you. I love how we're so validating towards each other in this conversation. Appreciate it. Okay, last question I wanted to ask you before we move into like the solution piece and the tips piece. I wanted to make sure to give space here for you because earlier you did mention a little bit about this, but I also feel like, I don't know, I just value what you say and how you share about your journey. And I think that there's been times that I know I've heard you talk about like, the responsibilities that you feel like you hold due to the identities that you have, right? So like that representational responsibility. And I think that does affect, you know, how we communicate, how we feel like we should communicate. And I'm pretty sure that other DI practitioners could probably relate to what you have to share. So I wanted to give you the floor for that. Yes, we definitely do hold space in different communities as professionals, as leaders, and I think for me, it was that realization and all of this is happening concurrently just in the last few months here with finding my voice. So this is a great one. Being a Caribbean American, number one, being a black woman and then, you know, being in the workplace, a lot of times you do feel the weight of that because unfortunately a lot, and I can't speak for you, but I know for me, I've always felt the weight of representing other black women. Not necessarily Caribbean American because, you know, to the eye, I'm Black. But once I begin to share my story, I always provide space and light to the Caribbean community because, you know, I think Black is just one dimension. There's There are so many different ethnicities within that. But for the sake of this conversation, me representing Black women, being, you know, educated and going into environments where, like we talked about in the very beginning, I was 19 when I entered the corporate world in the HR space. And I remember being the youngest in the room and that was a lot. I mean, I, I am grateful to be in the, to have been in those rooms, but I felt the weight of that because if I messed up, my thought process was I represent all black women and I could actually be the deterring factor in women and black women getting a job, or I could be, I could shed light to leaders in higher positions to say something to the effect of, well, we gave this, you know, young black woman a chance and she messed up. So therefore you see all black women are X or this way. And I just, over the years, you know, would feel the weight of that. And then I began to realize that that representation responsibility really had nothing to do with, with what I was putting the weight on. Every individual represents themselves. Just, that's just how that, because we're all so uniquely created and we're unique in what we bring to a space. So once that reality set in for me, then I was able to not feel the weight of that. And I think for me, I just want to remind those that are listening that you may pave the way for someone or for an opportunity, but you do not, you do not carry the weight of that because your responsibility and your experiences and what you bring to a space are simply yours. And that even goes back to comparison. I think in that moment, I was, you know, comparing myself just to find footing, just to understand where I fit in this ethos of, you know, uh, corporate. And it's hard, you know, when you don't see other Black women, that's a whole nother conversation, Jolene. You don't see people that look like yourself. So now you have to, I think you take on that complex of that savior complex of, well, Maybe I'm saving my people. I'm speaking for them. I'm taking on all the things that they encounter. And before you know it, you're taking on things that you don't even resonate with, like imposter syndrome. Maybe that was never your story. But now, since you've decided that you want to take on that representation responsibility, it becomes your story because you've added that. And it's an unnecessary weight that I think all of us, if we just look at our identities, we can then kind of unpack that a bit and say, is that really me? And I would say probably half of the things that we will discover are not us. It's just us making it seem like that is us because we don't see what we need to see. So I said a lot there, but yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to sit with that for a little while because that, that has been really my whole professional career. It's just now that I'm realizing, wait a minute, I don't need to do that. The collective can speak for itself. You bring what you bring to a space and that is enough. I love that. I do want to say as someone who is not Black, but I have witnessed situations where people I know who hire, they're like, oh, 
that they're like, oh, like I've heard it in the past where people are like, oh, like this person didn't do this. So I don't know if I want to hire someone like that. And it's sad. It's it's a reality. And obviously it's not a reality for everybody. So I do want to recognize that, right? But like it does exist. And I just, with that, I want to encourage people to remind each other and remind themselves to see each individual as that, as an individual, as their individual human self, right? So I just wanted to add that little piece there. And I appreciated what you said about like what you do is simply yours from the people who are holding those, you know, responsibilities or the weights, right? So really deep conversation. I really appreciated it. Yeah. And I want to add one other little thought there that we're not seeing. And this is just like taking it a little deeper. It's that when we compare, we're just looking at the surface level. So if you see a Black woman, and this is such a good example, and I hope folks can take this one, you're just looking at the external. You don't know what other intersectionalities exist within that person until you begin to connect with them, speak with them. So let's say you have two Black women that are you know, applying for a role. And maybe in previous candidates, you did not have as a company did not have a good experience or there was a or that manager did not have a good experience. What if those two women, let's say they're women and they're black, let's say one is black American and one is Caribbean or one is black, but of Hispanic origin. I mean, those are two completely different things. One is a mother, one is not. One is in the neurodivergent community. I mean, there's just so many different things that I think can be connected to that. So that's why I think that question was so important because we really can't compare apples to apples until you begin to unfold and and speak with the person or engage with them. And that's why I think that was so freeing for me to realize that I may look like, you know, another Black woman, but I mean, get an entire room of Black people together and each one of us would have uniquely different experience. Literally, even though we all appear Black, our experiences, the way we grew up, the way that we relate to the world would be so different. Yeah. I appreciate you again. I'm so glad that I asked that question because I felt like I just want to elevate your voice. So with that, talking about that, I wanted to move on to like the moving forward piece. And we are talking about hiring. So I'm curious, given what we've discussed, like how do you view communication during the hiring process differently now? So like, you know, what are some things that are coming to your mind now with this like growth piece that you've gone through with communication and finding your voice? It's so beautiful because with hiring, you really can begin to look at it as a two-way dance or dynamic. And just like I look at dating the same way, you know, for those that are actively dating or have dated in the past, it's the same way. It's no longer this one-way street of, well, I'm just going to be what the employer wants. It's also, does the employer have what I am seeking as well? Because that way it's mutually beneficial. And once you get in to the corporation, into the organization, you will be able to move forward in a mindful way. So I do have like three brief tips on just kind of what I've noticed and how you can move from just, I would say the traditional of old process to something a bit more mindful. So the first step, we know what the old process was, where it was kind of like, you know, either a candidate market or an employer market. And that was that. Now what I'm seeing um, that's different is more of this like active listening and empathy that's in interviews. So really, I noticed that there are managers and leaders that are giving their full attention to candidates to allow them to formulate their full responses when they're speaking. They're looking for a deeper understanding of their qualifications and perspectives. They're no longer just saying, okay, well, you have a degree, great. They want to understand more. And I think that is huge. They also want to acknowledge the feelings and the experiences of the candidate and provide space for them to express that. Because I think when they come into the organization, that's going to be a key piece, the culture, understanding that that is strong and that, you know, they're not going to be dealing with attrition for that role or that position. Also, there's more of like transparent and clear communication now about roles and expectations and company culture. That's being highlighted a lot more which I appreciate because now candidates have more of a realistic 
expectation before they step into that into that organization. There was a company at one point that clearly communicated their hiring process and timeline. And that was so effective because, you know, when you're interviewing, it's stressful. You're not just interviewing with the one company. So it's it's nice when a company highlights their process, their timeline, their next steps, and their and they waste no time letting you know whether you are the candidate or you're not. So that's just a few. And then the last thing I would say that I noticed in the hiring uh, process, the third kind of tip is to ensure that you're providing constructive feedback. So if a candidate isn't selected, make sure that you're providing that in a respectful, considerate manner. I know that that, I think that's something that hopefully will be done more realistically in the future. I really hope so, because I'm even experiencing this now where the lack of communication or not providing feedback at all can really scar candidates and not allow them to bring their full potential to the next role because they're thinking, well, if I gave my all to a previous job experience or a previous role and I will not receive feedback or I won't hear back or I won't know, you know, where the gaps are, then I think it it really hinders their ability to be the strongest and the best candidate that they can be. So those are the areas where I'm seeing the shift where there's more, you know, active listening and empathy. That's the space element. There's transparent and clear communication. That's being very clear on what you're looking for. And that allows for the candidate to then say, yep, this matches with what I personally am looking for or does not match. And at that moment, they'll know if they want to proceed. And then last but not least, the constructive feedback, providing some level of completion in the process so that it goes full circle and candidates understand, yep, you were selected or you were not selected and it's not as evasive. So those are my tips. I love those tips. I can concur that like when I receive a rejection, I'm like, that's so nice of them. I'm just like, oh, I respond like, wow, thank you so much for taking the time to update me on this job process. You know, and I feel like for me, I would be like, wow, that that organization is maybe something I might look back at in the future, you know. So I do want to bring my two cents there to that. And I think also just listening to you, I feel like you make a great point as like, I feel that the expectations for clarity has shifted from the hiring organization, like from candidates expecting more clarity from the organization that they're being hired into. And also many things you mentioned with those communication pieces you brought up, how helpful that would be to so many diverse identities, whether it's you have anxiety, you are neurodiverse, you like have family that you're taking care of. And so that you're spending less time, maybe like just ruminating on like this job that you really want, but you didn't get, you know, and henceforth, I heard that answer from you of like, I think that will equip candidates to be even better. It will. And just like in dating or any sort of like intimate relationship too, or the process of it, you're scarred if you're ghosted. I mean, if we, if we look at that, that's the same equivalent of being ghosted if you're dating. And, you know, some t- for some people, they're able to move forward. For others, they're not. It scars them and, they, and then that's how they show up. They show up scarred and bruised you know, when they're ready to move forward with the next um, organization. So you don't just get the candidate, you get everything, all the traumas, everything connected to that person. And it may show up in lack of performance. So yes, they got the job, but now they're bringing their traumas, they're bringing different things. So I think it's it, it really does speak to the health of the organization too. Because uh, if we look at any relationship, it involves communication. So if you're not communicating clearly and effectively, even within relationships with family, friends, a significant other, the relationship will will dwindle because you're not, and it may altogether no longer be in existence. Without communication, what do you have left? So I look at that too, to determine the health of the organization, because no longer in my mind, is it okay to say, we're just so busy that we just want anybody to come do this job. That's not okay because what happens is you get in there and then now your boundaries are crossed because you accepted that and you told them it was okay. Yeah, we have a very highly stress, you know, stressful environment or there's lack of flexibility. And you said, I'll take the job because I need it and it's going to get me from point A to point B. And I mean, that's a personal decision. But with that, you now are in that. 
And now you have to take everything that comes with that, which is they will test your boundaries. They will push your boundaries. They will start and say, nope, just come in two days. Before you know it, you're coming in every day and it's affecting your performance, your personal life. So it's just, there's so many things that are connected to mindful communication. It is mind blowing. I just truly appreciate how we're bringing this to such tangible situations. And, you know, um, when I was listening to you, what was brought into my mind is like everybody needs a place to feel supported so that they can take healthy risk and risks and be adaptable. So I want to bring this into the conversation because that part comes with professional development. So we talked about hiring. And so for professional development, I think it's like super crucial as well to talk about mindful communication in this space, because if we do want to see representation at the executive level, how can we better communicate in the professional development track so that that can happen, right? So what are some do's and don'ts that you have from like an employee and manager perspective for mindfully communicating in those development spaces? Well, speaking from an employee perspective, some do's that I would say is really expressing your career goals clearly. Just make sure that you're communicating your aspirations, your interests, your goals for professional development with your manager and be specific about what you want to achieve and why. Also seek feedback actively. That's something that I think organizations can do a lot better, but you as an employee can also request that and just find out more about, you know, how you can get regular feedback on your performance and areas for improvement. This really shows that you're committed to growth. It shows that you value not only yourself, but your manager's insights. And I think that dynamic would prove fruitful for you. And last but not least, definitely advocate for yourself. Do not be afraid to advocate for different opportunities that you feel align with your development goals. And that could be bringing a certain training to your manager. It could be mentorship or a project that you're interested in letting the manager know. But if say the whatever that is that you are looking to advocate for is not approved and it's tied to some sort of fiscal budget. If it's within your power, I would also encourage you to to invest in yourself as well. And just, you know, if the organization can reimburse you later, great. But as a part of advocating for yourself, you have to believe in yourself too. So if you really feel like that's going to take your career to the next level or it's going to move you forward, invest in yourself and pay for whatever that thing is. And maybe at a later time, you can get the reimbursement. So those are some do's as an employee. Some don'ts are don't assume that your manager knows your goals because not every manager is even aware of your career aspirations. You are going to have to take the initiative and initiate the conversations and provide those updates because the one time per year, the annual check-ins is not going to cut it. You, you really do have to you know, be as close as you can to your manager so that they're aware. Also, don't avoid difficult conversations. Challenges and roadblocks are a natural element to professional development. And actually, they will begin to show you the areas where you can use some some growth and where there are gaps. And finally, don't limit your development to formal programs or training. That's very valuable. So seek out informal learning opportunities, take on stretch assignments, and really participate in networking and industry events. That is the key. Don't wait to need something to then ask for it. I think it's important to include networking in your natural way of, you know, of being because folks can feel that. They can feel the inauthenticity of when you need something and you're just looking for a connection or you're looking to step, get to the next step in your career and you're not really helping them. So those are some don'ts. Now let's shift over to the manager perspective. So now you're wearing the manager hat and some do's would be do initiate those regular development discussions. I know that sometimes we have star and key players on our teams and we assume that they don't need development. They do. Initiate those. Proactively engage with your employees about their aspirations, their strengths, areas of growth, and just really create space for them because you'd be surprised. And actually you can do the next thing by you know having those uh, regular conversations or discussions, you can then provide constructive feedback, make it actionable, make it specific, and just make sure that it helps the employee understand how they can improve and develop because you want to focus on both the strengths, but also the areas of improvement. And 
Also, last but not least, do make sure that it helps to facilitate access to resources. This is a resource heavy generation. We want the next training, the next uh, article, the next resource to help, you know, bridge that gap, whether it's a workshop, a course, a conference, just make sure that it aligns to the goals that the employee mentioned um, they were interested in. And then lastly, don't, don't assume that one size fits all, you know, don't assume that all of your employees have the same career goals and development needs. Make sure that you're taking time to actively and mindfully tailor discussions and opportunities to their individual strengths and aspirations. And that's going to take time. Also, don't neglect to follow up. That is huge. A lot of times we're quick to give feedback, but then the maintenance piece of it is forgotten and the accountability piece of it is forgotten. I remember Jolene, when you and I first met, which again, that was purely networking and we've actually never met each other in person, which is so funny. That's a whole nother story, but that was purely networking. But I remember when she had, after some time, felt comfortable enough and asked, you know, I would love to have an accountability session with you. And we just shared things that we were interested in outside of our career goals, like some personal things. And even uh, we did include some professional elements in there too. But that accountability piece is so important. So yeah, don't neglect that and make sure that there are follow-up mechanisms in place and hold your employees accountable and make sure that they do take ownership for their development. It is their development. And lastly, do not dismiss uh, different employee initiatives. If an employee expresses interest in a certain development opportunity, do not dismiss it. Even if it seems unconventional, it may actually align with their unique strengths and ambitions. So yeah, these are just a few like do's and don'ts from both an employee and manager perspective. But I think if you really look at those in isolation and collectively, it can really allow for both the employee and manager to engage in mindful communication and it's going to feel a bit more inclusive at all levels. Yes. Thank you. And also, yes, as like somebody who does gig economy and like isn't solopreneur too, it's like, I think having an accountability buddy is always great, you know, but anyways, switching gears, because I know we are running out of time. I did want to ask at least two more questions. So first, We talked a lot about like the internal side of things. I did want to also give space for this next question, which is like when it comes to talking to others who aren't very academically versed in DI concepts or like maybe they even have negative assumptions about the work. I mean, I do welcome talking to those people because I think that that's where where the work has to start personally. Like that's just how I feel. So for that type of situation, what tips would you give others to you know, mindfully navigate those types of conversations. Mm -hmm. And we actually like touched upon this, I think midway through the conversation, but it can be applicable here. So I'll bring those tips back as well, but just start with empathy and understanding because really it's about listening actively and then move into simplifying and clarifying concepts. Just avoid, I know we like to use acronyms. That's why in the very beginning, I, you know, made sure to say diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI. Because now if you're someone that's not in the space, you now just learned what DEI stands for. So just avoid jargon and make sure that you are simplifying and clarifying your concepts. Also, folks want to know what is the benefit. So highlighting that, focusing on shared values and impact is the key. I would say when you're dealing with someone that may not be as versed, because the minute you highlight something that's tangible I think most people can align with that and it can really help to frame just a more inclusive and harmonious conversation and can even challenge you to look at a different perspective, which is also a key element that we need in today's society. Share your personal stories and experience. That is huge. If all else fails, if you make it relatable and you have a story, anybody can resonate. It doesn't even really matter if they're a DEI person or not, most people have war stories. So make sure it's relatable and it aligns to whatever you're talking about. But then also acknowledge the challenges that came with that, whatever that story was. Because when you're honest, when you're authentic, people feel that. And I think that's what DEI is all about, or that's what it should be about. It should be authenticity, really. That I think that authenticity piece is missing now 
And so that's why people are shifting out or finding ways to do other things that may incorporate it, but not be entirely focused on it because it no longer has that authentic element. A few more tips, be patient and avoid confrontation, especially in this society where we're quick to express like skepticism, negativity. I would encourage you to resist the urge to, to become confrontational. Just simply acknowledge someone's viewpoint and calmly, you know, address their concerns. And maybe you don't even have to say your own viewpoint. Sometimes it's just allowing space for the other person to be heard. I think that's, that's good too. So just use your judgment there, but do avoid confrontation and allow time for reflection because sometimes when you recognize someone else and you give them space, then they may actually ask you, what are your thoughts on this? Or tell me why you feel this way, or I'd love to learn more. And now by you avoiding confrontation, you just gave room for there to be space for differing viewpoints and for reflection. And the final thing is resources. If you just are not sure how to connect with someone, if you have facts and figures, resources always work. So whether that's a recommended reading material or a workshop or you know a different initiative, that will like help the person to better understand where you're coming from. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing those tips because I, I think that that's also a very important part of this conversation. All right, time for our last question. If you could tell me about a time where someone or factors of a situation led you feeling supported and that you belong. Well, this is a good one. And I know it's your signature question. Well, I would say that when I decided to make that shift into more of the entrepreneurial space. It was honestly, you were a big part of this. And then I do have a business coach too. So I'll shine the light on you and then also the business coach. So I think for me, sharing that vision with you of what I noticed and what I was feeling, it was so interesting to me to realize that you had also stumbled upon the same thing. And culturally though, we are different. Like, you know, you are in the Asian American community and I'm Black or Caribbean American. Like, I still felt like I connected with you. And so when you talked about your shift as a solopreneur and I expressed to you kind of my desire to shift away from more of a structured corporate space and be a little bit more malleable and be able to express myself, whether it's through like consulting, you immediately just... I felt supported I immediately and you expressed to me like some of the challenges that you had faced, but also you said there's some good there and there's some room for you to be able to make change. So you were definitely one. And then I have a business coach and the business coach, I met her actually at the Illinois Diversity Council that I sat on. I never met her in person also because that was during COVID. She now lives in Wisconsin, but we still meet regularly. And she also moved into entrepreneurship. She's also Asian American, funny enough. So I think it's just, she assured me, she says, turquoise, you have it. It's there. It's untapped. And sometimes you just need that person or people to really poke you to say, I'm going to do this. And guess what? If you do fail, it's always with the intention for you to keep going and learn because if something is driving you, I don't really care how many times you fall down, you're going to pick yourself back up. So it's not a failure. It's an opportunity for you to grow, for your story to be enhanced. And trust me, all those, what we're calling non-wins will become wins in the future. When you are where you want to be and you can look back and say, I once was ABC, I once was doing, I once was where you are. And that is more powerful to me because now you're authentically communicating and you're authentically being you. Thank you so much for including me in that answer. I just wanted to say thank you for sharing and leaving us with that last response because, you know, I think the more I heard you, it's like um, the more I realized, oh yes, I've learned to see failure as a signpost, right? It's like, oh, go this way <laughs> instead of like, instead of the end, right? So I don't really think that failure is the end, you know? And with that, I also appreciated what you talked about. I feel like it's the, what you said about what your coach said. It's there. It's untapped. And I feel like the more I do want to leave the uh, listeners off with that is the capacity that we've talked about today, the capacity for mindful communication and 
on every level, whether that's like granular or like on a larger scale, like it's there, right? It's untapped. So with that, I thank you so much for being here with me today, Turquoise. Thank you so much for being here. And I really appreciated this deep conversation that had a very human element to it, but it means a lot how we and how you broke it down to what it means in the workplace. So can't thank you enough. Thank you. This was such a delight and so much fun. Thanks for having me today. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to explore how we can enable diversity at work. Follow us and get notified of our latest episodes. Also, we want to hear from you. Please like, rate, and review us on your podcast app or wherever you're listening in. If you want to contact us, please visit diverseek.com. That is D-I-V-E-R-S-E-E-K.com. This episode was produced by Madhu Nair, edited by Jonathan Dalek, researched by Jolene May, music composed by Nicholas Lang, and our production team includes Keisha Williams, Prashant Balbar, and Maria Corina. I am your host, Jolene May, and you have been listening to Diverse Seek.